I'm Marie Ortenberger, and you're listening to Echoes, a production of Great Lakes Echo. Many people have never experienced natural darkness. So some of them travel far and wide to visit dark sky parks like the Headlands in Michigan's Emmett County, to see the night sky and feel the thrilling isolation of open darkness. The International Dark Sky Association designated the Headlands as an International Dark Sky Park in 2011. It is the sixth in the country and the ninth in the world to receive the title from the Tucson-based organization. The park has a successful story-oriented approach to night sky education. Shelley House is caretaker of the Headlands. She guides visitors through the park's trails at night, and she has seen firsthand the wonder and trepidation of those who've never walked in a dark woodland. We talked as we explored the park's grounds. I remember this little guy coming with his parents. I don't know who's more scared, mom or the child. Mom was being brave though, but they were out in the darkness, kind of huddled together. I got a lot of questions about bears and wild animals. I said, well, nice thing about Michigan, albeit they're out there, you scare them away. On our own walk, something abruptly fluttered out of the woods in front of us. Gosh. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on the road. That scares the dickens out of people. That was actually a flicker. The nerves eventually subside, though, and the visitors make their way to the lakeshore where the sky opens up to reveal a vast canvas of constellations. They usually have questions about what's going on up in the cosmos. But Shelley was taking care of the headlands for many years before it received the dark sky designation, and she never really had an interest in the stars. She said the more tours she guided, the more she encountered questions she couldn't answer about the night sky. So she started studying. So now I can point out quite all the major constellations for sure. I'm slowly learning a couple of nebula. I'm also learning um, individual single stars that are important and why and things like that. But no, all joking aside, I literally have to study every night before I go out though. But it's kind of, I take on the challenge. I find it fun and fascinating. Engaging with the sky in this way has changed the way she looks at it. Now that I've learned that, it's very cool because I no, I no longer look at the night sky as just a bunch of stars. Now I can look up and it, it actually is saying something to me. <laughs> I see objects in the sky now, not just stars. I never thought I'd, that that day would come. Because the sky changes every night, Shelley has to read up on what to look for all the time. But she's happy to be an example for park visitors who come in knowing nothing about the night sky and leave hungry to learn more. So many people have zero knowledge of the stars themselves at all. They were like me before I started. They just saw a bunch of stars up in the sky. They didn't know what they were. And so when they finally learn how to identify them themselves, they're like, oh my gosh, I can do it. It's very funny. Funny and exciting all at the same time. Creating that kind of naked relationship with the sky, unguided by technology, is what Mary Stewart Adams fosters as the park's programs director. She calls herself a star lore historian, and she talks to groups from all over the world about cultural connections with the stars. Her work is part of what got Emmett County interested in getting the dark sky designation and launched the movement in Michigan to preserve the night sky statewide. A key component in moving this forward was legislation drafted by Tom Bailey, the executive director of the Little Traverse Conservancy in Harbor Springs, Michigan. 
he recognized the connection between night sky and land conservation. The night sky is a resource, just like there are other resources. We have um, clean air, clean water, we have beautiful natural land, we have trees, we have meadows, we have wetlands, you know. And on that long list of resources that we seek to protect and, and make accessible to people in land conservation, one of those is the night sky. Um, protecting the night sky can only be done when there's a, a lot of surrounding area that's protected. He took that idea and drafted a bill to protect the night sky above 23,000 acres of Michigan. State lawmakers in 2012 passed the bill, which controlled outdoor lighting and designated dark sky preserves. This year, they added an additional 15,000 acres. That may seem like a lot of work to protect something just because it's pretty. But seeing the Milky Way or Aurora Borealis aren't the only reasons to save the sky. Obviously, minimizing the glare and making it possible to see more in the night sky, but also it saves energy and resources. And that's one thing that we're finding that, that dark sky conservation has in common with other forms of conservation. Just like taking better care of the land means you know, cutting down on pollution and other kinds of things. It's the same with light pollution. And, and we find that uh, when we use more efficient lighting, use downward directed lighting and stuff, it saves energy and saves money. Um, and there are other reasons to cut down on stray and excessive light too. One of the things, obviously, is a nature preserve. The headlands is a critical stopping area and resting area for migrating birds. Migrating birds can get disoriented by excessive light. And um, there is more and more research that's showing that cutting down on stray light and light pollution can be greatly uh, helpful to migrating birds. Um, it can cut down on bird mortality. And um, so, you know, we're learning that there are a number of different benefits in the natural world, as well as for our human uses um, of, of the area and our needs for, for lighting. And Mary said lowering the lights also improves human health. There's now research showing how artificial light is affecting the human circadian rhythm and sleep. It suppresses the production of melatonin, which leads to sleep disorder, which is connected to every major illness that plagues our population. So it's very quickly no longer an issue of, oh, poor me, human being, I can't see the stars. It's, we're throwing away money, we're wasting earth resources, we're destroying habitat, we're not able to sleep. All these reasons justify dark sky preservation. But moving people to action sometimes requires more than just knowing that using a resource in excess harms ourselves and the environment. Mary sees an opening in telling stories. My kind of ploy was to say, you know, there's a really great meteor shower tonight, and it's connected to this story from the ancient Greeks, and here's what the Native Americans did, and, you know, if we turn the lights off, we could see it. Instead of equipping people with telescopes or teaching them about the chemical processes happening in the stars, she tells fairy tales and teaches people how stars influenced those stories. So my, my passion is to get as many people to sing or say the name of a star to to wake up to the fact that hey diddle diddle the cat and the fiddle is actually a little ditty about the constellations that are overhead it, it just not oh heavy intellect but just there's joy i remember that you mean that's connected to the sky and now i can see it and i feel that that kind of reawakening then will inspire the action because then you'll really want it 
A wealth of fairy tales, poems, music, and art deeply rooted in all cultures are connected with the night sky. They're all opportunities to, quote, stoke the longing, as Mary put it, to be able to see the stars unfettered by light and to help people understand the importance of protecting the night sky. But Mary doesn't do all this because she's a driven environmentalist. Every culture known to man since the beginning has had a star lore and a star belief and a relationship to that and has used it to establish civic practice, spiritual observance, religion, agriculture, architecture, literature, art. I mean, our, some of our highest achievements are an expression of this is what we understand about our relationship to the sky. In addition to the many ways light pollution damages the environment and humans, Mary worries that disconnecting people from the stars is harmful in another way. She believes it may sever us from creative opportunities. Really, I should share with you that my mission is not to protect the night sky. It's to protect the human imagination. The, the IDA has a statistic that almost two-thirds of the residents of the United States live where they can't see the Milky Way at night. Through my own random surveys, uh, there's a lot of people that know a lot of stuff, but most people in a general audience don't know the star names, can't identify the constellations, and they live where they can't see them. So if you combine those three factors, and then you also bear in mind that every culture since the beginning of humanity has been motivated in really important ways by a relationship to the starry worlds, you can see we're just being cut off from a source of inspiration, imagination, harmony. Um, and so what happens in our culture when we don't have that anymore? Part of the solution is turning off the lights and doing what Mary does, telling stories and describing connections. But another part is making sure future generations understand and care about those connections. So that's, I think, a big part of my work, is to say, you know, we need to be telling our kids the story, Jack and the Beanstalk. The stories have important morals to teach, but beyond that, and beyond their psychological meanings, they are special because they can be found in the night sky. We can't see it out there unless it's in here. And if we aren't cultivating that, then we will lose our relationship with it. And that's, that's sad. It's, it's sad because we will make different decisions, and they won't be as informed by the harmony that we can find in nature as they could be. Mary's role in keeping intact a relationship with the night sky manifests itself in her position at the Headlands County Park and in the talks she gives wherever she travels, telling stories, singing songs, and reminding people of their deep-rooted relationship with the night sky. I mean, I'm, I'm not out doing a peace march, and I'm not out protesting, I'm not doing certain things, but this thing I can do, which is, let's just, let's just sing it, just say the name, and other things will happen. It's like moving into a neighborhood and not meeting any of your neighbors. After all, we are made of star stuff. Oftentimes you'll hear astrophysicists say things like, um, you know, we come from a star, but it's a star that's exploded a billion years ago. And, and I understand the physical description of the life cycle of stars and how you can come to these conclusions. But also the ancients believed we came from a star. 
but not a star that had gone through supernova and is gone, but that we come from a star. We have a responsibility to it to demonstrate through human biography what that star is. And when we die, we go back to that star, like a totally different relationship. And when I hear someone say, you know, oh, when you look up at the sky, you realize how insignificant we are. It's like, no, no, no. If we can witness that majesty, then it must be in us as well. This podcast was recorded, edited, produced, etc. by myself, Marie Ortenberger. The music was written by Stephen Michael Holmes. Thanks for listening.